Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Fitzpatrick throwing over the middle, touchdown! Mike Gesicki! Well, the stadium got real quiet real quick. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. another edition of three yards per carry i'm alfredo artiaga i have chris kaufman here with me in the second half of the show i will have simon clancy and we will talk about this game on sunday as well as you know the college games which were fantastic simon has plenty on that and he's going to do it while moving in a car so you know that's going to be an incredible listening experience for the second part of the show and believe me i did wonders with this edit so you're going to enjoy it but I do have Chris Kaufman. First of all, what a game, Chris. What a game. It was a Christmas miracle. The Dolphins gave us a Christmas present a little <laughs> yes. bit late. And, and it was a Christmas present in so much as it didn't have a, a single bit of effect on the draft positioning. Because win or it lose the game, they would have been at number five. So yeah. with that out of the way, didn't yeah. matter. Absolutely. They gave us a victory and they spoiled the Patriots season. And I told Simon, and I spoke to Simon about this already, and I told him, as I was watching it, I had somebody that had the tankathon thing, and he was, like, giving me updates, and he tells me, like, late in the game, when we get the ball at the end to try to win this game, under four minutes left, 3.56 left in the game, and Fitzpatrick is staring down 75 yards to win it. He tells me, you know what? I don't think there's going to be much of a difference. I think we're picking fifth no matter what. As soon as I heard that, I was all in on this win. And mm. to be honest with you, it felt it was the first time all year that I felt like a fan again, like it was fun winning games. Because this season was absolutely unbearable to endure until those last four minutes of that game on Sunday. Then, of course, we wake up this morning, 
And there's some news that we're not going to speculate on. We'll know more as the information rolls in on our cornerback, Xavier Howard. Oh, right. right. But then Chad O'Shea is gone. That happened this afternoon. And we're left sitting around wondering. Tony Oden. Don't forget him. Yeah, Tony Oden is gone. Everybody. Tony Oden forgets Tony Oden. Yeah, and that's a guy with a name. So... Yeah, what's going on? Like, very weird things going on. What do you make of it, first of all? I, it, it happened really late, and this is, this is all still very fresh. Um, so the listener understand this. This is all kind of exploding. Um, so even by the time we release this podcast, who knows what other news comes out. But this is huge. This is a huge and big, you know, surprising news. for um, I mean, Dave DeGuglielmo, that, that – showed up on the news feed and you're like wow that's kind of surprising but you know hey let's face it the guy can't keep a job anywhere um he's he's he is seriously he's somewhere for a year and then gone i mean that's the way he's been his entire career and there's a weirdness about how he was hired too because you know brian flores tried to say oh he wasn't really he wasn't really available when we originally hired pat flaherty Mm -hmm. um but actually he was like, you go back and you look at the timeline. Yeah, he was. Um, and, and so they had him on as sort of a consultant and he wasn't even working with the offensive line. And then all of a sudden, you know, they fire Flaherty and then all, and then he was. So it's just, it's just strange. It's strange coming in and now strange going out. Um, that was fine. That was, you know, whatever. Tony Oden, you're like, eh, he was a holdover from Gase's regime and from, uh, What's his name? The defensive coordinator that should not be named. Um, <laughs> whatever, whatever to that as well. Uh, I think Tony Oden is probably a pretty good coach, but maybe he's not the fit. And then Josh Boyer did such a great job with the corners, with those waiver wire corners, constant new one every week, that maybe he's just being elevated to the full defensive backs coach and, and he's going to do his own thing, structure his own unit that way. That's whatever too. And then the bomb drops, Chad O'Shea is gone. And that was that was really surprising. Um, although importantly, I had heard some things to this suggestive of this mid year, um for one reason, which we'll get into. Um yeah, I, I don't know what to I mean, it seemed like the offense had actually started to get on, you know, like mm-hmm. started to to come alive. At first it was after the bye week the defense made huge strides forward, right? And they started to do well on defense um, against like the Redskins and some other games. But then I I don't know whether this was just the injuries, the constant onslaught of injuries or everybody being traded away um, or constantly going with a new guy off of the waiver wire each and every week at corner, that sort of thing. The defense started to really stumble, but it was the offense that picked it up. I mean, they were getting first downs. They were getting uh, doing well in the red zone. Yeah, they, they were, were dangerous, um, right? Like, like, did you feel hopeless when they got the ball back with four minutes left in that game? No, absolutely not. There I, was I a feel, feeling of like inevitability. I felt like they had a very real possibility they were going to win the game. Uh, like, I you, felt you, like you, that. you, 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 you said the funniest line to us. You said something like they gave Ryan Fitzpatrick too much time, <laughs> and I just had to laugh at it because it was it was absurd. And true at the same time. Yes. And it was, and you just, I, I said to you, back, back to you, I remember I was like, this is happening, isn't it? <laughs> and I said, yes, it is. And you're like, yes, yes, it is. 
<laughs> and it's just like that's and but that's how the offense the offense had come to it was really um admirable how the offense had come to be able to operate play for play you know make good plays happen while minimizing the number of players that they needed to actually play well on the play yes <laughs> Like, like there, there's 11 guys on, you know, some offenses, they say you need 11 guys and you're only as weak as your weakest link. Yeah. They weren't operating an offense like that. No, no, no. On any given play, they were making plays because they had like three guys doing well. And then the rest of them were, you know, just doing whatever out there. I mean, that's, yeah, and, that's, and, the, that's the truth. And, and you got And you really got to say this uh, before he, he got here was Devontae Parker, a star wide receiver. No, no. After he leaves, after he's fired, Devontae Parker's leading the AFC in touchdowns and yards. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is Chad's – That happened. Special. So this is like an, an ode to Chad O'Shea I, in, in a way. It's like, let's give him credit where it's due. You know, he, ha- he had to have helped that happen. He was a wide receivers coach. Yes. And Preston Williams. Absolutely. Went before he went out. And that, by the way, Devontae Parker didn't really start to go off until Preston Williams – got injured and then all uh, just basically all the feeds started happening to Devonte instead of mm-hmm. only part of them. But Preston Williams was on his way to being one of the best rookie wide receivers in the league as a, as an undrafted free agent. And this, yeah. again, this is Chad O'Shea's area. This, uh, I, don't think, I don't think he catches AJ Brown's numbers because AJ Brown's numbers are right. pretty damn good. Right. But he had a real shot at a thousand yards as well. Did. Did and and so you look at that and then you look at I realized that the red zone thing I kind of called that as BS because I thought the first the red zone offense was bad and you know worse than the league the first four weeks and then all of a sudden for a span it was one of the best in the league and then it was bad again uh, and that's just it's an up and down thing the red zone percentages are always that they, they do that they go up and down. Um, but at the same time, there was a stretch where Miami's red zone offense was was league leading, which is absurd to think about anything on Miami's offense being league leading, considering that roster or that offensive line anyway, and the running backs unit. Um, but at the same time, you know, and that was Chad O'Shea's thing in in New England too. He was the he was the red zone guy. He was responsible for all the red zone game planning in New England. So people were crediting him with that in Miami. So there were like sort of discrete things you could you could put on Chad O'Shea, or at least you could think you could put on Chad O'Shea, and and then he's being fired. So it, it threw everybody for a loop, and I think I think deservedly so. Um, but then again, I think there are some good reasons for this happening, and maybe we should get into that. Yeah, let me give you let me give you the first one, and then we'll get into the second one, which you mentioned on Twitter. And spoiler alert, it has to do with a quarterback on our team and not the one that we're celebrating today. Hmm. But let me give you this. The, the run game was a design run game. And what I mean by design is that there's specific assignments. There, you know, these are plays that have been called in, uh, in football for the better part of the last 50 years. And you got to teach to get these plays to run correctly. Most coaches believe that most of these plays should work for at least a yard when you need it. And if they don't, then there's a deficiency in teaching because you got to teach guys timing. You got to teach them how to run these plays. You got to teach them how to get out of the huddle, line up correctly, know where to go, all of these things. This run game was historically bad. And off the top of my head, I don't think I can, I can find it, but 
It wouldn't shock me if this was the worst running game in the history of football. Our quarterback, who happens to be 37 years old, going on 38 soon, led the team in rushing. Incredible. Kellen Balazs averaged less than two yards per carry. Okay. Ugh. Kenyon Drake got chased out. That's of not even game. that's not even the podcast name. No. Okay. But but the hits keep coming. Okay. Uh forget Mark Walton. He had his own issues. He got cut. But Kenyon Drake got gets <laughs> traded, goes to Arizona. And now everybody's talking about, man, we got to pay this guy. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's – as you said earlier, he's Gail Sayers over there. Yeah, he just became – like he's a t- – I, I don't have the numbers ahead of me, in, in, in front of me. But if you ran for 700 yards in half a season, I dare say he was probably in the top five rushers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. And the man did run for 700 yards in half a season. Okay? Uh, math, uh, 700 times two is 1,400. That's a really successful rushing year. Okay? Uh, he's going to be – I think they're going to pay him and they're going to find a way to dump David Ro- uh, David Robinson, David Johnson's bloated contract on somebody. So that's a, that's a huge maybe failure. Us. <laughs> yeah, maybe us, right? So that's a huge failure. We're talking failure upon failure upon failure upon failure in the run game. Shouldn't that be laid right at Chad Oche's feet? And maybe that's the reason he's fired. Yeah, I think I think that you have something there, and I, I want to give some credit to um, to Tony Pauline at the um, at Pro Football Network because he his sources kind of corroborated in as much as they say that um, people inside the building didn't view him. They they thought he was a great wide receivers coach, but they didn't come to view him as a great coordinator. And this what you bring up speaks to that. It definitely speaks to that issue because you're not just coaching wide receivers now. You're not just getting Devontae Parker and Preston Williams to produce. You're trying to be the head of the whole offense, and that means a running game too. And which was it might have been it, there were there were, I mean there were points of the season where it looks like it looked like it was going to be the worst running game maybe in the history of the league. Um, <laughs> which you, there's got to be some there's got to be some uh repercussions from that i think so yeah i think that there's something to that absolutely uh it this there's other reasons and we'll get into those but um but yeah there's 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 a coaching issue or there's a coordinating issue if the run game if one half of the offense is as bad as it was because some of those guys that they put on the offensive line i mean they weren't pass protectors no so they're supposed to be they're supposed to be you know kind of big strong like Julian Davenport you know okay you know he's not a pass protector Jesse Davis okay you know he's not a great pass protector they should be good run blockers right yeah no um, and, and like I told you earlier in the WhatsApp chat when people call 42 cross buck iso every coach on the planet thinks they can get a yard mm-hmm. was there any time this season on third and one that you felt confident in a play call no no not really you know, I'd rather they just throw the ball at every single down because our, our run game was actually a net negative for us all year, really, if you think about it. I think we ran the ball correct, good in one game, the, the first Jet game, I believe, no? Yeah. That might have been the only game they, they ran the ball effectively. So, As yeah. a sort of a, an add-on to your point about the run game, and we'll just consider this all to be the, the X's and O's reasons about what might have been going on with Chad O'Shea. There was definitely something that happened 
later in the year, I would say right around the Cleveland game, uh, a difference in the way that the game started to be called uh, mm-hmm. and, and the way that sort of the personnel groupings that they started to use and the sort of the sorts of plays they started to use. Um, they st- they definitely went to more 12 personnel starting with that Cleveland game, and it lasted all the way through the end of the year, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, had it, hi, prior to that game, I they were way down the list of teams that used 12 personnel, maybe one of the last in the league. But from that game on, I think only two teams out there use 12 personnel more than the Miami Dolphins. And those were the Minnesota Vikings and the, um, the Philadelphia Eagles. And of course, Philadelphia, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Um, the two best offensive players are two tight ends. Yeah. So oh, besides and, the quarterback, of course. So, so we were, we were third and all of a sudden Mike Gesicki starts having his Renaissance and, um, and even, and some other players started to get opened up. We started getting a good blocking out of the blocking tandem of Durham Smith and, Clive Wolford uh, in a couple of games. I think that that made a difference. And I think that uh, I wonder if there was some tension between uh, Chad O'Shea and other people on the team. You know, I know that George Gotze is a very, very, very good friend of Brian Flores's. Uh, Flores described once that, you know, they spent years and uh, years and years apart because mm-hmm. uh, Gotze only worked with New England for a couple of years. Um, but he texted Godsey and spoke with him on the phone, like almost literally every day. Like that's how good of friends they are. So, um, and there was, there was such a big change around that time that happened around two tight end sets that I wonder if, you know, there might've been something happening with Godsey and with Jerry Shaplinsky, who clearly had a visible rapport with Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, you know, some some kind of change was happening in the offense, and I wonder if maybe there was an internal view that that was leaving Chad O'Shea behind. Like, he was trying to run things mm-hmm. the way they were in New England. That wasn't working. And Miami had to had to make some changes that ended up being good for the offense, and it just didn't feel like Chad O'Shea was with it. Now, let me put on my tinfoil hat here for a second. Did you watch the game, and did you watch it as closely as I did when – you looked at the sideline and Brian Flores seemed unusually animated and involved when the offense was on the field. Did you hmm. notice that? Cause I did. And it was, yeah, I, I noticed that, but I also noticed, I mean, I also noticed just the, the involvement of Jerry Shaplinsky mm-hmm. um, was especially with the guy who was primarily coaching Ryan Fitzpatrick. But I mean, it, the last couple of games, I, I've, I've really tended to notice him more and his involvement with the offense. And that raised an eyebrow a couple of times. Yeah. And I think that um, there's something to do with that. And, and I th- in fact, you know, I might as well just go out and say it because um, Pro Football Network, I already mentioned, they, they've come out with a report um, which they believe to be true, which is that uh, – this is about trying to keep Jerry Shaplinsky that okay that he was threatened um, because if Josh McDaniels goes somewhere else, then he would bring Jerry with him as the offensive coordinator and Miami needed to, to fire O'Shea and make room for Shaplinsky to take the job in order to keep him. I'm not sure I 
100% buy that, um, really, to be honest, and with all due respect to those guys. Because, uh, A, somebody's always betting every single year that Josh McDaniels goes for a head coaching job, and every year they seem to be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, 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 B, you know, Shaplinsky uh, would have been an offensive coordinator in name only wherever Josh McDaniels goes because McDaniels would keep the play calling. Uh, so and 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 see, I don't think you part with Chad O'Shea unless you decide that Chad O'Shea is not right for this team. Right. So and that that's ultimately what I think is 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 more what's happening. I think people on the outside might be like, "Oh, this is about Shaplinsky and keeping him and stuff like that." I think people inside wouldn't would never describe it that way. Now, let's get into the second part of this. We remember the the run up to that draft, the you know, the big Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen draft. We remember that mm. as as clear as day. And we sure. all had pretty much this the same information. They loved Baker Mayfield. They weren't in, in, in you know, entirely in love with anybody else, but they did feel a certain thing about Josh Allen and Sam Darnold, but they didn't particularly like Josh Rosen. All of a sudden, Chad O'Shea is here, and they're out there trading for Josh Rosen. Mm -hmm. Could have been, you know, now is the time where you had to pay for your sins this season. And they started, they started weighing everything together. And if, you, and if he was responsible for us trading for Josh Rosen, Rosen mm -hmm. and costing ourselves a second-round pick, and you throw in the, the running game, which was historically sure. bad. Yeah, that, I would say, yeah, of course you fired this guy. <laughs> These are all fireable offenses. Do you think the Josh Rosen thing, is that a conspiracy theory that holds water? I think it holds water, but I will say this. Like, on the face of it, you look at it and you're what, you're really going to fire your offensive coordinator for, for making a – a bad scouting decision back in April when he's not even the GM and you could have chosen not to take his scouting opinion. I mean, that's, <laughs> yes. uh, I mean, the, I get it. I get it that that, that sounds a little bit absurd to some people. Um, I think it's more evidence of a philosophical schism though. Uh, and, and I look at the fact that it always seemed like Ryan Fitzpatrick was Brian Flores's guy. Yeah. Right. Right away, they get Ryan. They get Ryan Fitzpatrick, and and Flores is the one talking about him. He's talking about. Uh, I think he had a relationship with him, you know, prior. I think he um, uh, maybe when he was playing up playing at Boston, uh, up in Boston, Boston College or something. Um, I think he had a relationship with him. Either way, that that was his dude. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick was his guy. He went out there and talked a lot about Fitzpatrick being a, a great leader and being a good quarterback for us. And then the Josh Rosen thing came on very suddenly. And I know it caught some people that I know that are connected with the organization, like by surprise, like where did that come from? Because the front office did not rate Josh Rosen in that draft. And, um, and I don't think Brian Flores was all about it. And I think that, uh, you know, somebody was, and I think it was Chad O'Shea. Now, if it was Chad and Adam O'Shea. Gase, and let's, let's also be clear. Adam Gase would tell anybody who could listen and who could put it in the papers that he didn't like Josh Rosen. Right. Like he wanted, he wanted known that, Hey, I got this one right. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and that's an, and that's, I think interesting in that he and Josh Rosen's coach at the time um, were, are like best friends. 
Adam mm-hmm. Gase and uh, uh, um, what's his name now? It's escaping me, the head coach of UCLA at that time, um, who also coached Jay Cutler. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I think that it, it, this could be – I heard – this is what I had heard like around midseason, that there's, there's going to be some repercussions from this Rosen thing because as soon as Rosen got here, he wasn't – you know, it, it it was obvious to some people that it, this isn't this isn't for us, mm-hmm. and that Chad O'Shea really did kind of extend himself a little bit to pound the table for him, and that there could be repercussions from that. But I I don't think it's just punishment. I think it's more about a philosophical schism. If you look at the fact that Brian Flores brought up even offensive coordinators back when he was first starting to be hired, he he floated the names of like of like Greg Roman, who has a, hist- a, a, a history with kind of mobile guys. He floated mm-hmm. names like um, Cliff Kingsbury. Look what he's doing with Kyler Murray out in Arizona. Uh, and, and Jim Caldwell, because yeah, he was had, friends had with Jim a, Caldwell. had a real shot at Rookie of the Year until A.J. Brown overtook him. So Yeah, exactly. Really so I, I think that um, – I think that then all of a sudden the guy – there's a guy – you're pounding the table for Josh Rosen, who's a pure pocket passing quarterback um, who couldn't survive behind this offensive line at all. So I wonder if there was a sort of a tension behind the scenes a little bit, not just about Josh Rosen trading for him, but, but the Fitzpatrick versus Rosen thing, because Fitzpatrick was a starter and, and then all of a sudden he's not the starter. And then, um, then, you know what's his name flores is saying publicly to the press he's like yeah Ro- rosen is still our guy and then the next day he's like fitz no no <laughs> fitzpatrick is is the guy um there was there was a back and forth there it was really weird and there was a lot of contradictory contradictions between what was being said to the press and what ended up happening and i, I it it bespoke of tension to me. And I wonder if there was tension behind the scenes between uh, Chad O'Shea and other powers about Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Josh Rosen. And so I think that there could have been like more of a philosophical thing going on. Like, Hey, we're about to get the quarterback of the future in this mm-hmm. season, uh, off season. I don't, could be Tua, it could be somebody else. Who knows? We got to, we got to all be on the same page here. We can't have this this thing where Chad O'Shea keeps, you know, now he wants Jacob Eason, <laughs> yeah, you know, or now he wants Justin Herbert, you know, these these tall Brady esque pocket passers with the big arms, and other people in the organization are like, nah, we want a dude that can move. We want like Tua Tagovailoa. We want uh, um, maybe Jordan Love who can also move. You know, maybe there's maybe they can't afford that. They can't afford to have that sort of conflict in what they think about quarterbacks and who they think should be manning the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. You know, right, that's that's what I would point to. You know, what could also be it could also just be something as simple as Ryan Fitzpatrick yesterday was approached with like, hey, you know, uh, you know the first, you know, the trial balloon. Like, hey, you're coming back next year, right? Like, we'd love to have you back next year. And maybe he said, you know what? Just in case, can you keep the assistant quarterback's coach job available? <laughs> you know what I mean? And they decided, you know what? We were kind of done with Chad O'Shea anyway. Let's just open that up and give the job, give the OC job to Shaplinsky. 
And that way, that way we had the assistant QB's job available for Ryan Fitzpatrick just in case he wants Maybe, but, but I think that is tinfoil hat now. Okay. <laughs> I now, think I'm that's just, – yeah, I, I, I just float that out there far. because I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick has made a lot of friends in that building. He has. He has. And I think that's central to this. I, I, I agree with you on that. Like, they are all on board with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and they know how old he is. I'm sure they're not trying to make a, a big future with him. Mm-hmm. But they're enjoying coaching with Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's, and so whoever he has a rapport with and whoever is helping Ryan Fitzpatrick to help the offense have this, this um, renaissance that they've had later in the year – I think that those guys are being viewed to stay as, as people that will stay on and the people that were sort of discordant with that whole thing, meaning maybe Chad O'Shea, they're being let go. And I think that the, it, it's kind of, it comes at it from multiple angles. I think it does surround Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think it also surrounds Josh Rosen. I think, it, um, I, I think we touched on it with the running game and the uh, personnel groupings and whether O'Shea just kept trying to do things New England's way and it just wasn't right for our personnel. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think that ultimately speaking, Jerry Shaplinski seems like he's going to be the guy that's going to get the job. I've heard that from a couple of people. Um, And I think that Jim Caldwell is coming back. I think Jim Caldwell Mm -hmm. is very much in figures into this. And that makes sense. I believe he's healthy again. He's, He's looking to come back, and I think he's going to resume that quarterback's coach role, uh, and he's going to be sort of a quarterback's coach, special assistant of the offense while Jerry Shaplinski takes the offensive coordinator job. Now, should that happen? Yeah. Or should I bring up the name, you know, Joe Brady? Hey, like I told you earlier on the WhatsApp chat, I could throw a rock from my house and probably hit his if I knew where he lived. Okay, because yeah. he lives in Pembroke Pines, which is, you know, about five minutes away from here. I could get in my car and be in Pembroke Pines in less than five minutes. You know, it's a nice town. He's from there. And I was telling you earlier, like, you know, is it, is it such a bad thing that you're losing an all-world prospect, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to be left all alone. Probably with still a pretty damn good team, okay? But you could, you could either do that and bring up a, a new quarterback or you could just go to your hometown and coach with what seems to be the hottest young coach in football in Brian Flores. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's such a bad thing, especially with a team with three first round picks, one of which could be Tuatunga Bailoa, which mm-hmm. might be, which might be something he'd be very interested in coaching or Jordan Love. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm pretty sure he will have a say if he, if he got here. So yeah, I don't think it's crazy. Like a lot of people are saying, ah, you know, Joe Brady has his pick. And there was a there was a report earlier, and I told Simon about this also in the second half of the podcast, which um, uh, the DC from the Ravens, Martindale, mm-hmm. floating the idea that him and Joe Brady could be a team to take over any team that was interested, and mm. that would be kind of exciting. And then I told Simon that if you're Zach Taylor and you saw that, you start changing the nameplates on your. On your, <laughs> on your parking space, right? Like, that yeah. has to be terrifying if you're Zach Taylor, right? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So how what true a- is that report? Now, now, what's more exciting to you? Uh, I'll ask you. I'll ask you because, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't have an answer. I don't know. What's more exciting, coming to coach under the hottest young 
coach in the National Football League and Brian Flores, and you get to do it in your hometown with a team that's going to have a top five pick or teaming up with Martindale as, you know, a tag team to take on whoever, possibly the Bengals. Well, if they're taking on the Bengals, then if you're – then what you're weighing is I get to keep Joe Burrow. Yes. Versus I go to my hometown. And I think that ultimately the professional considerations yes. tend to outweigh the, you know, the home, the home considerations. So I think that that would probably be, be it. If, if that's on the table, we don't know that that's really on the table. That's, that's just you know, what, what Rappaport yeah. put out there today. So um, I think that you bring up good points, you know, Joe Brady, do you come home? Do you work for um, a, you know, kind of up and coming coach? And also, you know, hey, if Miami really does have a line on Tua Tungavailoa and a commitment to getting him, then you got to be thinking if you're Joe Brady, you're like, okay, I, I stay in Baton Rouge. Joe Burrow's not walking through that door next year. Um, maybe I should strike while the iron's hot and jump over to the team that's going to get Tua Tungavailoa. So I can yeah. go from Joe Burrow to Tua Tungavailoa. That, that's yeah, and a few, like and a few a really weeks ago. Deal. Yeah, and a few weeks ago, we didn't have pass catchers like Devontae Parker and Mike Gusecki sure. to sell. Now we do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems like a, an attractive – it's attractive enough that I think that as much as we might like Jerry Shaplinski and the idea of him assuming the role in place of Chad O'Shea, you have – you almost have to reach out. You have to reach out and actually um, find out if Joe Brady would think about it. Yeah. Because he is, he is, I'm not exaggerating to say that he's probably the hottest offensive coordinator name at any level of football yes. right now is Joe Brady right now. And, and he has the experience in the NFL. He, he was an NFL guy. Although an oldie <laughs> right? but goodie Chris Richard is now going on a tour to interview sure, for the Giants job yeah, and but, the Browns job. But I'm talking about for offensive coordinator positions. There's yeah, no absolutely. hotter there's no hotter name. I don't care about any any even fired head coach. Not even Josh that McDaniels. Was, Josh McDaniels is not as hot. No, I I wonder if Josh McDaniels is even as hot of a name for an offensive coordinator job as as Joe Brady is right now. Um no, he might be, but I think Josh McDaniels won, wouldn't even uh consider OC jobs. But anyway, there's, there's no hotter name out there and it's not, he's not just hot on paper. I mean, it's, it's, it's legit. He, he learned in a great offense in new Orleans and he adapted a perfect offense in LSU for Joe Burrow for his strengths and weaknesses. A historic offense. Historic. Yeah. And, and that was the first time he'd been in college ball and he just nailed it. And, and so I think that was the first time he'd been coaching college ball right i mean i mean at, i mean at a, seri at a serious at a serious level you know, at a serious level his quarterback has a 55 has 55 touchdowns six picks and a perfect quarterback rating like you know, yeah i mean it's, like who it's, does that's incredible right and and yet last year joe burrow was nothing he was a day three pick yeah he was just uh, before before joe burrow and brady got there so yeah. you have to investigate it you have this is a hometown guy you can't afford not to make that phone call i don't know i i, I don't think I, I don't know if they will, but I'm just saying. Like, yeah, and I'll go even further. Who was the guy last year who surprisingly was the number two runner-up behind Brian Flores? And we kind of we made jokes about this, but 
I mean, it was, it was true. I've heard it from a unimpeachable source of my own and several other sources have corroborated. That was Dennis Allen, the defensive mm-hmm. coordinator of the saints. I wonder, you know, when you, you interview these head coaches, they always propose who they take, you're going to take with them a staff. Did yeah. you say anything about Joe Brady in that meeting? Maybe. You know, Do you think did he, did he, he did, did he pitch that? Did he, you know, is that, is that a, you know, did he pitch that I've got a, a really top notch offensive mind that I could bring on staff with me? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's something to think about. I think you make that phone call. I don't know if he, uh, if he considers it seriously, but I think you have to. Now, let me ask you this, and we could wrap this part up. If people are being paid to pay, to pay for their past sins, mm-hmm. who, who, gets, who pays for the sin of trading Kenyon Drake for what it seems will be a fifth-round pick? That's a tough one. Um, and I noticed that you, I noticed that you pivoted it to the Canyon Drake and didn't, didn't ask who pays for the sin of Kalen Balaj because that would be Alfredo Arteaga. Um, <laughs> I did pitch that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but I also pitched a, a Kenny Stills trade and then it happened. So, yeah. yeah. So that's true. Um, one for two. You're one for two. Uh, but yeah, I, you gotta, you gotta wonder about that. Eric Studsville is a very accomplished running backs coach. Absolutely. And so maybe you don't. He would have a job you know, in five minutes. Right. Maybe you don't. Here. Maybe you don't pin that on him and just throw him out. And maybe that gets back to this. Okay, it's not about punishment for making a bad call because bad calls happen all the time. You draft a wrong guy all the time, yeah. you know, or, or you trade the wrong guy all the time. Um, Maybe it's it's about philosophical stuff. I mean, Dave DeGuglielmo, uh, why'd they get rid of him? Uh, why'd they get rid of Tony Oden? Did DeGuglielmo make a bad call on Isaiah Prince or something like that? I mean, did, did Tony Oden make a bad call on, you know, some safety who was probably claimed off waivers and then <laughs> and then didn't play i mean yeah. i i don't know if it's punishment i think it's i think it's it's what it speaks to about your philosophical differences and if chad o'shea was going to keep plumping for whoever is the tall the tall statuesque um pocket guy in the draft for uh for quarterback while everybody else is like you know, we know that Chris Greer appreciated Baker Mayfield and we know that he appreciated Kyler Murray and um and they they start they view it a little bit more dynamically that way and, and if Chad O'Shea was always gonna be the stick in the mud that way, then maybe maybe they had to get rid of him. Uh is Eric Studsville, did he get rid of Kenyon Drake because he's always gonna be a stick in the mud and go against the grain whenever they're whatever they're thinking about running back position? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that, um, you know, maybe they were all on board with Caleb Balazs, not just Eric Studsville. Yeah. So, but it, but it was know. obvious that Studsville coached Kenyon Drake a bit harder than he coached Kellen mm-hmm. Balazs and that Kellen Balazs had favorite son status on that staff. He did seem to. Right? Like, uh, like he seemed to get every opportunity to be the starter this past season. Mm. So, yeah. So maybe that sin is like widespread. And nobody's going to pay for it because then everybody would have to pay for it. But you know but how they can fix it, right? Let's be fair, though. There had been rumors that Kenyon Drake wanted out early. 
Yes. You know, and Kenya Drake. And we dismissed on, it. And we dismissed it. We dismissed it. But, you know, well, Kenyon also dismissed it. He he kind of yeah. went, he tried to go on record many times. And I think there was like this, a little bit of confusion. Like these people that were like, he's saying one thing off the record and then he's saying a complete other thing on the record. Yeah. Um, and I think he wanted out. So maybe, maybe that they, they didn't have much choice because he wanted out. I don't know. I'm just, just kind of going off the cuff here, but um, yeah, I mean, you, you have to consider that because make if we know that Minka was like straight up, get me out of here. So Kenyon might've been like that too. And yeah, they might, their Minka hands might've been tied. Yeah, that's the difference. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick is like a true alpha and will say so. Like, he'll speak up. Mm, yeah. You know, like, if you watch – I watched Minka at practice, and he was an alpha. Like, he didn't mm-hmm. back down from Xavier Howard or Rashad Jones, who is the ultimate alpha on that mm-hmm. defense and on that team, I would say. Okay? Rashad Jones, when he's talking, everybody's listening, and he'll get in your face. Minka yep. would not shy away from any of that stuff. Now, Kenyon mm-hmm. Drake is a little bit different. Like, he's – like, I wouldn't say he's weird about it, but he's soft-spoken and he doesn't necessarily like to talk to the media. And when he does, he's, like, kind of shy. Like, yeah. he's a different personality, you know what I mean? Yes. You know, so maybe it's hard for him to convey, like, hey, you know what? I want the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I want a new start somewhere else. And, you know, I, I think they sent him to a great place because, you know, obviously he flourished. But, you know, I just, you, I just wish he would have done that with us because I think he was capable all along. Who do you think, getting back to the offensive coordinator thing, who, who do you think is the offensive coordinator when they, when they announce it? I think it'll be Shaplinski. And I think, you think they're going to they're gonna promote. Yeah, and I think that they'll, they'll do something with the quarterback's job. I think Caldwell will come back as assistant head coach mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and quarterback guru. But they'll put somebody sexy beneath him. And it could be even – it could be Ryan Fitzpatrick. But I think that they'll look for somebody sexy under Caldwell to be the heir apparent because, let's face it, Jim Caldwell's mm-hmm. been in the NFL for over 20 years, and he's no spring chicken, you know? Like, yeah. he has to be seeing the end here soon, you know? So they would like to groom somebody. And if Chaplinsky's getting promoted, then they really have nobody in that room anymore. So I- – I think the favorite is for some sort of for some sort of split like Jim Caldwell stepping back into the fray and Jerry Shaplinsky getting like both of them somehow taking over the entire role. Um, and if they call that as Shaplinsky being the offensive coordinator, then then um, then that's one thing I think. You know, and and getting back to whether this they fired O'Shea specifically so that they couldn't, so that they um, would block Shaplinsky from leaving. I don't. I still doubt that because I think if McDaniel's doesn't even take a job this year, <laughs> then yeah. it, it'll be obvious that that was not necessarily the case. And I do think this is, and people I've spoken with um, that are connected to the team are like, well, listen, O'Shea wouldn't have been fired unless the decision was made that O'Shea was wrong. Yeah, for this team. Um, So I think that, but I think that Shaplinsky will probably step up and get a promotion. I think Caldwell will somehow also take a role. And I think that um, the pitch will be on for Ryan Fitzpatrick to be the quarterback again in 2020. Now, the question is, does Ryan Fitzpatrick boss agree with this? And his boss is his wife. And I, (laughs) I think that conflict is coming. I, and don't discount it. 
because I look at that, I look at things that Fitzpatrick has said um, to the paper about like what he's been missing with his kids this year. His wife and, and seven kids all live in Tampa and he's in Miami. He goes back, he's spent the entire year going back to my, or to Tampa to see his wife and kids one day a week. Mm-hmm. And his wife has been left to raise their kids alone for, you know, a year. And they, so whatever happened that led to that decision to do that in the first place, that they're going to stay in Tampa and, and he's going to go off to Miami. We don't know if that, that'll change, but I think that there's going to, he's going to go back to his family, you know, kind of tell the team, give me four to six weeks. I got to, you know, immerse myself back with the families, have a vacation, have some time with them. And we got to go through our process and make this decision about whether to retire or not. Yeah, no, and it's one. Be, he has a big, he has a big life decision. Like, I don't know how old are his oldest, but maybe they they're in school, mm-hmm. and and you know, it's a whole thing. Like, if they were all yeah. babies, that'd be one thing. Because then you just say, you just tell your wife, like, look, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're kind of rich, so mm-hmm. like we could go buy a house in Miami. Like, that's not mm-hmm. a problem. But you don't know, you don't know how many kids he has that are in middle school or who knows what. Exactly. I mean, so, clearly they stayed in Tampa for a reason that they felt right. like they. had probably schooling i think it's probably schooling Schooling, roots other roots like friends like different different activities that that the kids are involved in he's mentioned ballet and stuff like that my own daughter is is here in tampa involved in ballet um i think that uh something there and i'd be careful about assuming that ryan fitzpatrick would come because i know he's having fun i know he's He's having a, a grand old time in Miami playing uh, yeah. playing for these coaches, and they're having a great time with him, and they, they want him back. And so I definitely think there's def- they're, they want to be together. But what happens when those coaches go back to their boss, Steve Ross, and what happens when Ryan Fitzpatrick goes back to his boss, his wife, <laughs> and, and they're like, no, um, A, like the wife wants you to retire, and B, Steve, Steve Ross is like, if we go six and 10 or seven and nine in 2020 with Ryan Fitzpatrick as our quarterback, then I'm going to stab one of you in the eyeball, you know, that, like that's because that, that's got to be the worst thing that he could ever even think of. So, so I, I wonder about that. Like everybody might be really going for this uh, Fitzpatrick thing in 2020, but um, if his, if his wife and, and kids don't decide to follow him to Miami this time this year, Am I, I have a feeling as a family man, I'm looking at it and I'm like, that might not happen. That might not even, they've made enough money. And, yeah, his and, wife might a, be, and if he's offered, if he's offered like the assistant quarterbacks coach job, that's mm-hmm. something where he has to sit down with his wife and tell, yep. and tell his wife like, Hey, I understand that you love Tampa, but it's only three and a half hours away. We're moving to Miami now. Yeah, but also uh, he'd have to sit down with his wife about that decision to begin with because those, if he's going to be a coach, yeah, that's a seventy-hour work week, you yes. know, and 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 he's got seven kids. So again, she'd be like single parenting seven kids, you know, while he does a seventy-hour. That's a hard life. That's a hard life. Mm-hmm. And if you've made sixty-three million dollars in your career as he has, uh, that's a tough decision to take up. You know, because everybody's like, ah, oh, you can hire somebody to help the wife out with the parenting. Listen, you can't hire parenting. You can hire some help to take care of some things, but you're not hiring somebody to read bedtime stories to your kids. You're not, you know, you're not hiring somebody to be 
at ballet recitals and stuff like that. We're not turning this into a, an eighties Richard Pryor movie. Um, so I think <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so I, it's, it's something to really, this is a real life thing that I'd keep an eye on. Um, and I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to take, he's going to ask them to take for permission to like take his time to take those four to six weeks or whatever. And I think that's important because during those four to six weeks, they're going to be like, there's going to be kind of a limbo feel inside the organization while they're waiting for him to decide. And, um, and who knows what direction they end up, you know, who starts taking the reins and what direction they go during that time. Uh, it's, it's something to keep an eye. I think overwhelmingly the odds have to be that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to come back, but if it doesn't happen, this is why. Well, all right, Chris, happy new year. How are you going to spend it with family? You're going to a, a party. You're doing what? I'm, I don't even know what we're doing. I, I know that we're going to tomorrow, we're going to go some parades and stuff like that uh, in the area. But other than that, I don't, I don't know what the hell I'm doing until the, uh, until the Super Bowl, which I'm going to be at the Super Bowl because yes, you will be. we, are, we are covering the Super Bowl, three yards per carry. We will be credentialed and, uh, and at the Super Bowl covering it for you for the Five Reasons Sports Network. So there you go. Absolutely. Well, all right. We're going to go to break right now. And when we come back from, from break, Simon Clancy in a car moving across England talking to me in Miami. We pull that off. But first, these words. Hey, it's Ethan Skolnick. You're already listening to the best source of information on the Miami Dolphins. Why wouldn't you listen to the best source of information on the Miami Heat? That's the Five on the Floor podcast, which I, Ethan Skolnick, host along with Alphonse Sidney, Alex Toledo, and others. We get you inside the locker room. We are credentialed to every single Miami Heat game. Also cover the team on the road. We've got watch parties associated with the Miami Heat. We get to know the players, and we bring them on the podcast. Recent episodes included Miami Heat Center, Myers Leonard, and his wife, Ellie. We've also had Chris Silva, and we've had Heat executives like Andy Ellisberg and Adam Simon, plus the best NBA media guests from around the country to ask the question, why didn't you think the Heat would be this good? Check out the Five on the Floor podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Fredo Arteaga. I have Simon Clancy here with me. He's actually in a car and he's moving. All right. So bear with us. I completely expected this season uh, to come into this show today and be bitching and moaning how this season was completely unbearable to watch. And for the most part, it was because it wasn't about winning. It was about completely resetting the, the team. And let's face it, the team was doing it with a payroll of 60 million while everybody else was out there with a payroll of 130 140 million so it wasn't essentially fair but that game on sunday was i don't know if it erased the pain that this season brought upon us but that was fun and it was fun like i haven't had watching this dolphin team in a long while simon i thought it was great and actually i said this to you last night I've actually quite enjoyed this season. Maybe it's the hope that comes with it, the hope that things are about to change, the whole reset, the coaching staff. Fitzpatrick's fun to watch. He's, and it's fun to watch these ex-FL players actually balling out. And yesterday was great. We fully deserved to win that game against the Patriots. It was great to watch. Plus, we didn't lose anything by winning, which is even better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was one thing. Because as the, as the game was winding down, 
and they get the ball back under four minutes. And I'm looking at Fitzpatrick, and I'm like, we're going to win this game. And I remember that Chris was asking me, this is going to happen, isn't it? And I told him, yes, it is. It's going to happen. And I had somebody with me that kept looking on the Tankathon website, and he was telling me, you know, it's starting to look like they're not going to lose anything out of this. And at that point, I was all in on the win. I kind of just didn't expect us to drive. I didn't expect us to drive down the field and win the game. I was just surprised that we did it. And yet, you know, the Patriots had everything to play for. The, the importance of home field advantage for the Patriots was massive. Gillette Stadium, cold, the week off to rest Brady and the, you know, his ailing elbow. I mean, I mean, there's part of me that doesn't even think they'll get past Tennessee next week, but I cannot see them going to Kansas City and, uh, and beating the Chiefs. So it was huge for the Patriots to win that game, and they couldn't do it. And it felt like a real, I mean, it looks like a seminal moment in the AFC. So I mean, imagine being one of those players that was part of that team yesterday and seeing what that coaching staff had done and, and the way that win will have brought all that team together. Imagine being a free agent, seeing what that coaching staff has done. Because most people looking at that Dolphins team and thinking, I mean, there's a lot less talent on that team than there is on the Bengals. Dolphins should be picking first overall. And they, yet they won five games. I mean, that's yeah. astonishing. Astonishing. And I, look, hat tip to you, mate. You were the one that called it all along. I was taking the piss out of you saying, there's no way we're even going to win a game. And you were like, oh, I think we're going to win five. And so, you know, you called it. I fucked it. You called it. So kudos to you, mate. You pulled that out of the bag the whole way. But, uh, I mean, I don't think any of us, hand on heart, I don't think any of us, any of us quite saw the coaching job that Flores did. Yeah. But I thought, I thought that they were going to win five with Laramie Tunsil and Minka Fitzpatrick and, and uh, Flores doing wonders with Rashad Jones and Xavier Howard playing an entire season. That they did it with. This collection of characters is incredible. It's, it's incredible. It really is. And I also expected Kenyon Drake to be reborn under a system that throws the ball to the backs. And none of those things happen. And they still won right. five. And not only did they win five, but I submit to you that they got screwed over in New York. That, that would have been six. And if they don't blow the Washington Redskins game, that's seven. Can you imagine going seven and nine with this roster? Very incredible. Yeah, Brian Flores would have won Coach of the Year going away with seven wins. The thing is that it is very hard to give a guy that wins five games Coach of the Year. Had he won those yeah. two other games and got to seven and nine, I think they would have given him the Coach of the Year award. And I said this yesterday on Twitter, and I think it's instructive. This is a guy, meaning Brian Flores, that took that debacle in week two, okay? I don't know how you felt watching that game, but as I watched that game, I felt – the Patriots were almost giggling at the team that they were playing. To take that, that 43 to nothing drubbing, put it in your back pocket, and come into Gillette the last week of the season in a game with big stakes and beat them, and beat them with a sound game plan that took away Sony Michelle for the most part and made Tom Brady look completely inept, you got to give credit. And they were doing it with street free agents playing cornerback. So... Yeah, you can't help but be super optimistic with what this coaching staff has and what what, what they can be. Look, I don't think it's that hard to build a really good team from this point out. You know, if they get it right in free agency, they get it right in the draft, you know, I think it's not that difficult to build a really good, strong team. I mean, hope is an amazing thing, but I've got a lot of hope that they are able to turn this round because it feels like very much like they've got the coaching staff in place. You know, if they can add just, you know, if they can, this free agency period and the draft, you go through the names that are in free agency and stuff. If they, if they can pull off 
four or five, you know, and we're not looking for massive names. It doesn't have to be massive names. The right players, you know, the big names very rarely, you know, work out, but the right players, you can add some of those. They can do that. Add more in the draft. This team is going places. They've got the coaching staff. Clearly, now they just need to get a few pieces right. And, you know, God knows that, you know, we could be in for a really good time. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing like I'm sorry. And, and I love a lot of other sports. I watch pretty much every sport there is. And I love boxing on top of that. And maybe the night of a championship fight is, is it's a great, you know, it's a great scene. But football is capable of these scenes. And that scene yesterday in Kansas City, I don't know if you saw Kevin Harlan, uh, the video he posted. It was amazing. Amazing. He's doing two, two games, two games at the same time. And what's interesting is that if you watch it in real time, and NFL Network did a beautiful montage with the both games side by side, and you could hear the Chiefs crowd because yeah. I don't know if you know this, but in the NFL, it's a, they don't allow other games to be on the scoreboard. But what they do allow is that you could download an app, and if you download the, this app in the stadium, you could watch other games on your phone. Right. So you could see they had it side by side, and you could see how the crowd in Kansas City is cheering at the most uh, – the weirdest times during the game. Uh, for example, Patrick Mahomes threw an incomplete – Completion out of bounds, and all of a sudden there was a loud roar in the in the in the in the stadium in Kansas City, and that was when uh, Devontae Parker caught the twenty-eight yarder over Stephon Gilmore. So it was obvious that the crowd was actually watching our game as their game was being iced away, and Harlan yeah. actually doing the the deciding touchdown, and hearing that yeah. crowd erupt as the players got the the news it was just it was insane it was just insane. i love i loved hearing andy reed go hail to the dolphins as well in his press conference that was superb <laughs> when he wrapped it up i don't know if you yes. saw that but he wrapped up the press conference and just said you know just one more thing hail to the dolphins that was that was that was great and i love yeah. the fact that the chiefs are trying to get Devonte and fitzpatrick to come and be their uh drum baggers for their playoff i mean that's superb <laughs> yes although i've i've been told that uh, bet very strongly against Devontae Parker showing up there because he has to see Stephon Gilmore again. Yeah. And Fitzpatrick, I guess, though, I mean. Yeah, like, like you know, he, he, he could do whatever he wants at this point, and, you know, he's, he's as lovable a guy as there is in the NFL. 100%. But let's talk about somebody who's not as lovable. Is it over for Tom Brady? I have never seen him play worse, and this is going on weeks now. And I understand that he played well against the Bills, to essentially win the division. He played well, but he was bad. And I mean, really bad yesterday. Is it the end? Because I believe he is. I believe he is not the best quarterback on the field next week when he faces Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans. And if that's the case, I'm pretty certain that he is not the best quarterback against anybody in this playoff run. And this is the first time that's going to happen to him in his career. I think he's done. When the Patriots are out, I've got to say, I think it's career over for for um, for Brady. When yeah, if New England lose either to Tennessee or if they lose to the Chiefs, I think he retires. I, I think the elbow is causing him some significant problems. I think he's about to lose Josh McDaniels, and I just don't know how they rebuild that offense to to protect him enough. I just I just don't see it. And you know, why would you? What what else has he got to prove? 
He doesn't have anything else to prove. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. A, I wouldn't be surprised if he called it quits. B, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost to, to the Titans. In fact, I think they'll lose to the Titans. The Titans are just yeah, so I, good. I agree. I mean, they're, they're, and they're, they're built. They're built they, they are completely built to beat the Patriots. They run the ball yeah. and they stop the run, and they have a hot quarterback throwing great on play action. That's that's exactly. what you need. And AJ Brown is essentially uncoverable right now. Yeah, he really has. And to, to be fair, that's a great rookie class. I mean, second half of the season, you look at some of those rookie receivers. Terry McLaurin obviously had a great year, but you look last night, DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel. And Brown just looks like, I mean, he looks like a bigger, faster, more sexy version of Anquan Bolden. Tannehill was playing really, really good football. And look, the last time he played the Patriots, it's the Miami Miracle. So, you know, I think that Tennessee team is set up to beat the Patriots. And we could be witnessing the, I mean, it could be the last, the last rights of the Patriots, as we know, the last rights of Tom Brady, and probably the last rights of Josh McDaniels as offensive coordinator, because it looks like he's off to one of those teams, potentially the Giants, and a marriage with Daniel Jones. Now, can you imagine Josh McDaniels in, in Cleveland? Like, that yeah, makes a lot exactly. of sense with a young quarterback. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, think of what they could do with that offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to have everything you can want or need on that offense. And 100%. That, and that team uh, legitimately just needs tinkering around the edges, and they're, they're a playoff team. It needs uh, well, some structure. It needs some maturity yeah. at the head coaching position. It needs somebody who's going to, you know, and, and you kind of feel like it might be a job for a Mike McCarthy. Uh, or a Ron Rivera, somebody with a bit of a, you know, because Freddie Kitchens clearly just let the, you know, let the idiots run the asylum. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yes. that, that's a team that needs a bit of, uh, needs a bit of backbone if it's going to really work. But, you know, the right person in there, you know, who knows? Although Ron Rivera's already off the market because he's going to, he's taking the Washington job. Oh, has he? Okay, that would have happened in the last, since I got in the car. So, yeah. Yeah, he's taking the Washington job. At least it's rumored that they will introduce him tomorrow. Okay, good as coach. The new, as the new head coach. For the Washington Redskins, uh, what is what was interesting is I don't know if you saw what what I posted on our WhatsApp chat, but Next Gen Stats has this thing where they try to determine what was the most difficult pass of the entire year, and guess who was the guy who delivered the most difficult pass of the year last, this year? Probably, probably Tannehill. It was Ryan Tannehill, and he did it yesterday. He completed a pass that covered sixty air yards. And hit a window that had negative six percent chance of completion. Oh, was this the throw to AJ Brown down at the goal line? <laughs> yes, it was that yeah. throw. It was insane. Yeah, I do believe. I absolutely do believe that the Titans are set up to defeat the Patriots and essentially drive the final stake through Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's heart in New England. Because I think it's it's a it's a rebuild from there. And Until the Patriots not... draft Trevor Lawrence. Oh God, I will say this. <laughs> I've made this prediction twice before. I'm going to make it one more time. The Giants just fired Shermer. Yeah. Bill Belichick has said on more than one occasion that his dream job is not that New England Patriot job where he's become a Hall of Famer in. His dream job is the New York Giants job. I could see him waltzing into New York with complete control and doing it as soon as this upcoming season. If you're an owner or a general manager, you'd have to look at what's happening in New England and think it's worth a call to to Belichick's agent to, you know, say, look, Bill, you know, Tom's retiring. You're losing Josh. The team's getting old. The run has been spectacular, but it's coming to an end. How about trying to do it with somebody else? We've got a young quarterback here in Daniel Jones or we've got a young quarterback here in Baker Mayfield or whatever. Give it a shot. You know, your legacy is not going to be tarnished either way, but how about 
there, there must be some some fire burning in Bill Belichick that thinks, can I do it without Brady? Can I do it without Bob Kraft? Let's see what I can do somewhere else. Yeah, and like I've said, and like I've said before, uh, it's 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 a known thing around the league, especially since it's actually come out of his own mouth. You know, where he said it's my dream job to coach the New York Giants. So nobody says that if they don't mean it. Yeah, right? exactly. All right. Now we have to give credit words to. We have a star wide receiver here in Miami now. Simon. Yeah. Devontae Parker. It, it took a while, and we are all to blame. We're all we all quit on him last year. And why not? You know, the guy never plays. But there was always something in the back of our minds. When he does play, every once in a while, he'd show you these glimpses. Now he's done it for an entire year. This is, by my estimation, I was looking up the, the numbers. In 1984, Mark Clayton and Mark Duper both had insane years, both of them over 1,300 yards, okay? In 1986, Mark Duper also had 1,300 yards and had 11 touchdowns. Irving Fryer in 1994 had over 1,200 yards, had over nine yards per attempt, and seven touchdowns. That's four. The fifth best season by an, a wide receiver in a Miami Dolphins uniform, Devontae Parker, this year. Yeah. What did you make of it? Is it true? It, did we find – is he fulfilling his promise? Have we hit bingo uh, here? Is he a, I, I, think, I think he's fulfilling his promise with an estimation, with a um, – with an addendum, which needs to be that, for me, he's got to prove it over multiple years. You know, he, great season. Look, hats off to him. He's done brilliantly. And I think it's down to a few things. One, obviously, confidence. You know, he, he strikes me as a confidence player. Two, a fairly damning indictment on Adam Gaze when you look at what's happening to Ryan Tannehill, yeah. to Kenyon Drake, to Mike Kosicki, to Devontae Parker. Uh, and I say that as one of the biggest Gaze defenders during his period in Miami. And I, I take the L on that one. Um, but what, and another thing that we talked about a lot on this podcast is that I've heard people say over and over again this season that he's finally looking after himself off the field, his diet, his sleep regime, his workout regime, all mm. those sort of things he's got right. And it's taken a while and he's matured mentally, and he's matured physically. For me, he's got to prove that he can stay healthy. I mean, he, he may have had 1,500 yards, 1,400 yards, if yeah. he hadn't missed those two games with a concussion. Uh, and I think he's had a great season. He is a dominant force. You look at him. He's a physical beast. He mm -hmm. runs quickly. He can run every route. He's got great hands. He can high point the ball above anybody. And he dominated yesterday, the best cornerback in the NFL. Stephon Gilmore is up there with TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, and a couple of other players as defensive player of the year. Unquestionably, he will be a first-team All-Pro corner for the second season running. And he's had a great season. And Parker just beat him all ends up yesterday. You know, Gilmore was apologizing in the, in the locker room afterwards, surrounded by the media, saying that he'd let 52 other players down because of the way that Parker had beasted him. He's that kind of guy. But to me, he's got to do it over multiple years now. But something definitely to build on and something potentially very special to build on. Yeah, and as you were mentioning, all those uh, defensive player of the year candidates, and let's, let's be real, Stephon Gilmore absolutely still deserves it, in my opinion, because he's a catalyst on that defense. Yeah. One thing that absolutely shocked me, were you aware that Shaquille Barrett had 19 and a half sacks this year, Simon? Yeah, I knew, I knew that he was I, I knew that he was up there. Obviously, at the fast start, didn't he? Sort of not dipped. He still played very well in the middle and then came on like gangbusters at the end. And I think he was a sack behind Chandler Jones coming into yesterday and recorded three sacks yesterday. And 
had to sit around waiting for that late window game, the Rams against the uh, against the Cardinals to see if, what happened. Jones obviously held with that sack. Barrett had three and ended up winning the uh, winning the, the sack tour. He's had a great this is great year, and they really liked him in Denver, but they just couldn't find a way to fit him, Von Miller, and Bradley Chubb all into the same. He was kind of the odd man out. Um, and they obviously drafted the kid a couple of years ago who just got injured repeatedly, whose name escapes me, um, and didn't work out. And I think, you know, Barrett was kind of the odd man out there. and he, He's reborn in Tampa Bay. And a free yeah. agent. Yeah, that, that, that's what I was getting to. That's what I was getting to. It's going to be pretty interesting around here. Although, you know, you post those numbers, you're going to start asking for pretty fat numbers going forward. Yeah. Which I don't I mean, know they've if got, we're... They've got to keep it. Yeah, I don't know if we're prepared to pay the numbers he's going to ask for. And it's also, just... to me, that's those guys are buyer beware to me. Look, great, great year, a phenomenal year. He's done amazingly, but that's the sort of that's the sort of performance that he, is Shaq Barrett ever going to record another season like that again? Realistically, you if know, he so does, you might he's up, headed to the Hall of Fame, probably. Yeah, you might end up paying twenty million a year for him. He might only get you seven sacks, you know, mm-hmm. and then five sacks and then 11 sacks and, and and that's fine but all of a sudden that money versus the return starts to become a bit of a question mark which is why you know for me you know somebody like Matthew Judon who just does so much and fits so perfectly you know uh, like Trey Flowers did last year those the uh, this is why Chris Greer's got to be so careful not just chucking loads of money at big names you know it, if it's if it's the if it's Ronald Blair and if it's Aaron Lynch and if it's Kyla Fackrell and if it's Judon and if it's you know those kind of guys if it's David Onyemata you'd rather see those guys brought in than just throw a load of money at Shaq Barrett that might just get you sacked essentially uh, mm. you know the irony shouldn't be lost on anyone but you know so, trying to sign a 20, 20 sack a season sackmeister who then only brings you eight sacks is going to get you sacked if you're Chris Greer. So you've yeah. got to be really, really careful. You know, Yannick Ngokwe is another player that, you know, we really like and has done it over a more consistent basis. But again, you chuck, you, Dante Fowler is another guy that the one year wonder realistically, you know, struggled in Jacksonville, obviously had the injury, went to the Rams, played all right last year, played very well this year. Is he maturing the same way Devontae Parker has? Or is this just a, you know, contract year? Uh, this is... Buyer beware on Shaq Barrett, buyer beware on Dante Fowler. I think for me, that there are some interesting decisions to be made by the front office uh, for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, and I would be, I would be remiss if, if we didn't talk the, the college football games this weekend. Oh. And wow, uh, Oklahoma just uh, they didn't look like they belonged. And no. I don't know how you feel, but I guess we have to talk about this because this is what Dolphin fans really care about. Uh, the two quarterbacks there, I guess, you know, I think that the cake is baked on Burrow. He's a Bengal. Yeah. I guess yeah. I guess you could essentially hand him the, his helmet and his uniform. He might as well start picking out his number. So he's a Bengal. The other yeah. guy in that game, Jalen Hurts, I can't help but think that he hurt his draft stock in that game. Yeah. He did not. He just didn't look good. I mean, let's start by saying that amazing that, that the, essentially the end of the decade came – by a load of boomers getting absolutely spanked. I mean, I thought <laughs> yes. that was hilarious. Um, but uh, look, you know, I've been high on Joe Burrow all season. I know you guys, have, uh, you two have struggled a little bit more with it. But look what he's done this season. You know, and, and you know, he beat Texas. He beat Florida. He beat Auburn. He beat Alabama. He beat Georgia. Uh, and then he spanked Oklahoma. 
I mean, that's six of the best teams in the country, and he beat every single one of them. I mean, his worst day of the season, he had a, he had a higher passer rating than in any game that Matthew Stafford had in his final year at Georgia. That was his worst game of the season. Mm-hmm. Where he threw seven touchdowns in the first half, in the first half in the college football playoff against an Oklahoma and, team whose defense was significantly yards. better than last year. Mate, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. So, you know, hats off to him. I, I don't know what he's going to be at the next level. He, I, I've said this before on the podcast, and it makes me nervous, but he gives, you, he gives you a little bit of Tom Brady. He gives you a little bit of Joe Montana vibes, just, you know, just with how he plays the game, just how accurate he is and how, how confident and how nothing, nothing seems to phase him. He's got that really interesting pocket ability. Like, we talk about how Tua moves. Tua moves as a quarterback in the pocket. Uh, you know, a real... You know, he has that incredible footwork, the incredible manipulation of the pocket. But let's be honest, Joe Burrow has it as well. He has it differently because he runs around like a crazy fullback there and he makes plays happen. But he can make every throw. You know, he's going to be tested. There will be questions about the velocity. There will be questions about whether or not he's a one-year wonder. There will be questions about, you know, whether or not Joe Brady, he can, he can work in a Joe Brady offense or not in a Joe Brady offense. But by God, if you're a Bengals fan, you have to be looking at that and thinking, this kid has got some serious talent. You know, he's got some, he's just got something. You know, it's hard to put a finger on what it is, but he's got something. He looks really good. He was helped by really good receivers. Jefferson was great. Jamar Chase obviously won the Bolitnikov. He's got Kyle Edwards, Hilaire, and those boys in the backfield. He's got a really good tight end in, in Thad Moss. But hats off to Joe Burrow. It's one of the great, I, I, I think, it, you know, when we come to look at it, regardless of what happens in his pro career, when he, in 10 years' time, we will come back to look at this season and say it's one of the great seasons of the history of college football, regardless of position. Yes, absolutely. And what's interesting is also that uh, Ian Rappaport is reporting that Martindale, the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, is yeah. essentially marrying himself to Joe Brady and offering himself up, well, offering themselves up as a team to take over any team that could, you know, that, that would be wow. interested now, if if I'm Zach Taylor and I'm hearing that, um, yeah, start taking I'm, the nameplate off of you. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm calling the estate agent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, what. Sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah. I, if I'm Zach Taylor, I'm looking around and I'm saying to myself, "Yeah, I really have no shot here, do I?" <laughs> like, yeah. This is, this is kind of uh, over. As for Jalen Hurts, look, uh, you know, I did a deep dive with him a while ago for, on the three yards per carry account and. Look, he's easy to like as a human being. You know, all that you read about him, there was a fantastic Ivan Mizell piece this week about what, about, you know, how he dealt with the, the, the issue at Alabama, how he dealt with, uh, you know, coming to Oklahoma and having to win the starting job and not being handed to him, having to beat out Spencer Rattler. And, you know, within like four weeks, he'd been voted team captain unanimously with more votes than any other player on the Oklahoma team, even though they'd barely known him just because of the way that he oozed class and quality and leadership and those sorts of things. You pull for guys like that, but that will only take you so far. He's definitely somebody that you would want on your team. You know, if you had Jalen Hurts on your team, then as your backup quarterback, then absolutely great. I don't think teams are going to be drafting Jalen Hurts until the third round, I think now, because I just think he's been exposed a little bit. He does cough the ball up a little bit. You look at Daniel Jones. Jones has played pretty well for the Giants this season, but he's got to stop those turnovers. You you know, you go back to some of our older listeners who might remember Dave Craig and the Seattle Seahawks. Dave was a decent quarterback on a good Seahawks team with Steve Largent and Kurt Warner and Chris Warren. 
uh, and, and, um, and those guys. Um, and, uh, the Blades kid out of the University of Miami, Benny's brother. Yeah, Brian um, Blades. Um, Brian Blades, that's right. Um, and But you look at what Dave Craig, Dave Craig was a turnover machine. And not in the... Not in the um, the all-time James leader Winston. in fumbles. He's the fumbles. all-time leader in fumbles he in the NFL. He was a fumble machine. And Daniel Jones is heading that way. You know, obviously he's got a long way to go. But if he carries on the same arc of coughing the ball up, that's going to get him into big trouble. And Jalen Hurts does, uh, down the stretch this season, Jalen turned the ball over quite significantly. What, what worried me about his performance at the weekend was that, you know, he was backing out of the pocket, backing out of the pocket. And I know he was getting pressure. But sometimes you just want somebody to stand up tall in the face of that pressure, just fire a strike. And it struck me that maybe he just didn't have the confidence in his arm strength and his ability to make tight window throws. Look, he wasn't helped out. CeeDee Lamb probably had his worst game of, of the season, probably his worst game of his career, actually. Yes, yeah, he, he dropped, was bad. He, he just, and he dropped you know, a touchdown. For a really he good player, a, he, he did. dropped a walk-in touchdown in the third quarter. But I just wanted to see more from Jalen Hurts, I think. And, you know, not helped by a particularly strong running game. And look, you try and do, you double CD Lamb and, you, you know, you're asking, you know, sub-par, subpar, essentially subpar guys to, to beat you on the outside. Um, Rambo, obviously, not, not a bad player, but he, he's not CD Lamb, he's not Jerry Judy, he's not LaVisca Chanel, he's not, you know, any of these guys. So I, I don't think it was a great performance from Jalen Hurts. And I think it probably just told you, and, and I hate to be the, I hate to be a guy who looks at one game says well that's the guy he is because there's so much more to Jalen Hurts than that one game but that's as pro ready defense as you'll see that he will ever see you know mm-hmm. and you look at Delpit and you look at Divinity and you look at Fulton and Stingley and you know Calavion Chason and all those guys the big DT the, the, the sophomore DT who looks a great player uh, Patrick Queen all of these players are, are NFL players and in, a, in the face of what is essentially a junior NFL defense, he just really shriveled up a little bit. And, and that was disappointing to see. So I don't think you're going to be looking at him in the, anything other than the, the third round or beyond. And, and I don't think you're going to be bringing him in as a starting quarterback. Um, but by Christ, the kid in the Clemson game. Yes. Boy, is he <laughs> special. A, we're going to get to that in a second. But yeah, uh, last thing on Jalen Hurts. Uh, he, he was committing the, the, the cardinal sin as far as scouts is concerned. And that's when he was delivering the, the, the football. He was shying away from the rush yeah. on coming. That means that he was feeling a few of the hits, and he didn't want any more, you know, any part of that. And I'm sorry, the NFL, you he, get hit. You get he hit. He gets hit a lot as well. I mean, he gets hit an awful lot. That was one thing. Yes. I, I, I watched all of his throws this season. He or all of his plays for the season. Not just this he gets hit a lot as a runner. And that, look, you don't want to you don't want to temper that because that's what he does best. And he's not Aaron Rodgers. He's never going to be that kind of. He's not going to sit there and be able to pick an NFL defense apart because he just doesn't. That's not his game. You know, his game is not that. Can he? You know, people talk about oh, can he be? He's not as fast as Lamar Jackson. He doesn't have the quicks that Lamar Jackson is. He's a great runner, but he's not. He's not a guy that I think is going to run a four three. And he doesn't have that zing velocity that, that Lamar has and the ability to throw off multiple platforms. Uh, I, I like him. If you drafted him in front before the third round, I'd feel concerned. And I don't think he is a long-term starting NFL quarterback. I, I, I mean, I like him. I just don't think he's that guy. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Now, that was the appetizer. And it wasn't a very tasty appetizer because that game was one of the worst college football games of the season. But then they gave us a full-course meal, and that was just a great college football game. Ohio State-Clemson. 
I loved it. I thought it was there was a lot of talent on the field. Oh There's my God. plenty of time to talk about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, and that's a year away. But it seems like there was an audition everywhere else for for starting spots on the Miami Dolphins. And let's start with the running backs. Yeah. I revealed on the three yards per carry uh, account, and both guys were superstars in this game. But I revealed that I spoke to somebody who's familiar with the Dolphins front office, and he tells me that he believes that J.K. Dobbins would be the guy that they would target. And personally, I like Travis Etienne. Both guys were superstars. What did you make of their performances? Because what auditions for both of those guys? Both yeah, guys I mean, look thought, like first-rounders. Yeah, 100%. Although, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if a back doesn't go in the first round. It wouldn't surprise me. But I, I thought they were both phenomenal. I, you know, Dobbins significantly better in the run game um, than, than Travis Etienne. Etienne, just such a threat with the ball in his hands. Yes. You know, he's such a, such, a, such a weapon with the ball. He and he doesn't look to be going particularly fast. And yet, you know, all of a sudden he's 60 yards down the field. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, what, what I like about Dobbins, uh, a little bit more, I think, than, than Travis, uh, who, who perhaps lacks, JK perhaps lacks the explosiveness, the, the real explosiveness that, that, that ETN has. What I love about Dobbins is that he is uh, he's just a little bit better in pass protection. You know, I mean, I, I thought Brent Venables, after the first quarter, called us a phenomenal game. You know, and you never knew where those blitzers were coming and, you know, you had unheralded linebackers and, and guys coming from everywhere. And Dobbins was just really helping out um, Justin Fields in pass protection. So, you know, I think one of those, I, I think it's going to be fascinating what they do, you know, because you look at Dobbins, you look at Etienne, you look at Taylor, uh, you look at DeAndre Swift. How many of those guys are going to go before the New Orleans pick in the second yeah. round? Are they all going to be gone? Uh, and if they are, then okay. Now then, then you have Najee Harris, you have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, um, you know, you have Truba Hubbard in those that, perhaps that second tier of backs. It's going to be very interesting to see what the Dolphins do with that with their own pick in the second round. Because are you going to be able to get a? You know, look, we, we know how much they love defensive backs. You know, somebody like Sean Wade, a really good player, had a phenomenal year. Reg- sophomore if he declares you know he is an absolutely archetypal nickelback in a Brian Flores defense he's tough he's big he's rangy he's got long arms he can cover he's a really good cover guy you know there's a guy that you you know you stick at the nickel for the Dolphins from, from day one and, and he'd play well if he's on the board for example that's going to be very difficult for as a fit for the Dolphins to ignore but then you know the running game is the worst running game in NFL history. Brian Fitzpatrick at age 38 led yes. the Miami Dolphins in rushing. Led the Dolphins in rushing. <laughs> yes. He's 38. I'm 46. I couldn't lead the Dolphins in rushing. I could probably lead the Dolphins in rushing this year, by the way. I mean, that's so ridiculous. So ridiculous. So, you know, they definitely need that. But, but look, the, the NFL is, is flush. Well, look at the kid that Buster Rhymes or whatever his name is. The kid that played for the Eagles yesterday when Miles Sanders went out. I will, um, I, will, I will admit to you for a fleeting second, I looked up the screen and I'm like, Darren Sproles is back with the Eagles? Yeah. <laughs> but look at the 49ers. Like, I mean, the 49ers have been like this all yeah. season. Raheem uh-huh. Poster, Matt Breeder, Warren, these guys, where have they come from? You know, none of them are high round picks. So this is going to be the, you know, this is going to be a very interesting discussion for the, for the Patriots, for the, um, for the Dolphins, who obviously made it. Who obviously, you know, with, with Rhea, I'm sorry, with um, Flores and O'Shea, I've obviously seen the Patriots make hay with 
Brandon Bolden and all of these lower round free Burkehead and you know really Sony Michelle the only guy yeah they did spend some money on Sony Michelle the only guy really that they've they've done that for yeah exactly I can think off the top of my head Mm. so you know but Dobbins I mean Dobbins fits great hands can run routes you can line him up at receiver um yeah, I mean, there were, there were just studs all over that field. Look at John Simpson, the left guard for, for, for Clemson. Just had a tremendous game, really under the radar, drive blocking, played really well. Look, the Clemson tackles, I mean, they've been good all season. Yeah. But unheralded. I mean, was Chase Young even playing? Yeah, they, they essentially you know, erased Chase Young. And I want to get, get to that. If there was somebody else that was, I guess, auditioning, I don't think that the Dolphins will have any shot at Chase Young at number five, and we all know what they, we all know what number five. What anyway. we want to do with number five, we already know. That. I don't think they take him anyway. Really, um, I, 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 I've, I've and I'm with you, and I'm with you. I said that before, and everybody jumped down my throat. Everybody thought I was crazy, but I mean, I, they're, I, I they're not going to have a shot at him anyway. Exactly, but I just yeah. don't think. I, I, and that game, I just you know that game to me was look. He's a really good player. Uh, you know, he's a really good player. I, I he was singled up consistently throughout that game, one-on-one battles. There were a couple of times where he bent the arc and got close to Trevor and Trevor was able to step up using that kind of, you know, that sixth sense just to, to move up in the pocket. But he never got home once. He never once got home. In the biggest game of his life, on the biggest stage of his life, I mean, I'd be just tremendously disappointed that, that you know, not on one occasion, did he uh, – and look, the big drives at the end, you wanted Chase Young to – you were expecting Chase Young to come in and deliver a big sack of Trevor Lawrence on that final drive, or, and it just never happened. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it wasn't a threat. And that, that to me, would have – you know, that, that to me, I think, will – teams will ask questions as to what happened. What, you know, if you – when you get him at the combine, I know for a fact teams will be saying, Chase – what happened to you in the biggest game of your life? Why were you not a factor in that game? Yeah. You know, that would be a very interesting question that they'll be asking. Yeah, the closest he ever got was, was when he tried to wring uh, Trevor Lawrence's neck. On, yeah. On, when, he came in, yeah. when he came in late. Which, by the way, he's, he's, you know, he does that in the NFL. That could be 15 yards and an ejection. Yeah. yeah. Because, uh, I, I, always find it, I always find it fascinating how, how guys get away with this type of stuff in college yeah. when they shouldn't. But the other guy that flashed all over the place in that game was Isaiah Simmons. And yeah, I, I don't know what to yeah. call him. Is he a strong safety? Is he a middle linebacker? Is he a weak side backer? He reminds me he... a lot. And if you watched him play this year, he was actually really good for Tampa Bay. Devin White from LSU last year. Remember him? Yeah. yeah. He reminds me he's a, a lot about a lot of him. The thing is though, he's 25 pounds lighter than Devin White. I mean, to me, he's, to me, he's a slightly bigger Derwin James. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I also think what, what two things I think very much about Isaiah Simmons is one, I don't think you need to box him as anything. Actually, he's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. You know, he's not going to suit certain defenses. He, I, if Tua doesn't come out, I could see a scenario where the Dolphins took him at five because I just think he fits the defense really, really well. I don't think he makes it to eighteen, but the caveat being that he doesn't suit everybody because of the way he plays. You know, a lot of defenses like structure, you know, they don't need the, the, the Swiss army knife that he is. But the ability to be able to line him up, like I, I tweeted, 
in the first four games, the first four plays, he lined up a middle linebacker, slot corner twice, and free safety. But in that game, I saw him play single high free safety on his own. I saw him play strong safety in a in a regular uh, regular two safety set. I saw him play middle linebacker. I saw him play weak side linebacker. I saw him play slot corner. And I saw him line up as a seven technique and rush the passer. And I saw him line up almost as that tiger formation that Jason Taylor used to line up as a sort of a hybrid defensive tackle, middle linebacker that essentially attacked the line of scrimmage. I mean, phenomenal versatility to be able to, to, be able to do that. And that's the kind of the heartbeat of the sorts of things that Brian Flores' defense in New England was able to do. Where are guys coming from? Where are they rushing from? Who's covering where? You know, look at the inter- look at the range that he had on the interception. I mean, it didn't even look like he was running very fast. And yet he, you know, he went from the center of the. F- he looked like Earl yeah. Thomas. He mm-hmm. went from the center of the field to the sideline, picked the ball off, and it didn't look like he was even running. It was, it, him and like uh, Jeff Okuda was the other one that's looked, that stood out for me. The Ohio State corner, I thought he was phenomenal. But but Simmons had a really good game. Those, those two guys, to me, you know, if Tua doesn't come out. Those two guys, along with Derek Brown, are absolutely front and centre of what I think the Dolphins will do if, if they make it. I mean, I don't see Akuda necessarily getting past Detroit, but um, those, those, three, those three for me are absolute prime targets. And I thought Akuda and Simmons played two of their best games on the biggest stage. Yeah, I thought, I thought that Isaiah Simmons, he has that, that Deion Jones look from, yeah. from the Falcons. Yeah, he's just so big and so long. Yeah, and I could see how... I could see how you know, I was about, I was just about to say the Patriots coaching staff, but what I meant to say was the Dolphins yeah. coaching staff. I could see how Flores could sit down and say, you know what? Let's just play him as a Gator back. You remember the Gator yeah. back position that yeah, they used yeah. to have in Florida, which I wasn't it wasn't really a linebacker or a safety. It was just it was just a guy, and the guy yeah. was always about six one, two hundred and twenty pounds. Always. Do you know who he looks like physically? He looks like Lewis Oliver. Do you remember Lewis Oliver, yes, our big, yes. big free safety that played alongside Jarvis Williams? Yes. The only that's, problem that's, with Lewis Oliver is that he was lightning he was fast, but not necessarily quick. Board. Yeah. Yeah. He looks, he has the physical look yes. of that because he's that big. But one thing I really liked about it, and look, I know it's quite a young team, but you look, you know, ETN, you look at that offensive line, Gates, Savinka, the two tackles, John Simpson, the senior, um, obviously Lawrence, um, the, those players in the secondary that they've got, the corner, uh, the, the uh, Tanner Muse, the safety, the other safety, um, uh, Kayvon uh, thingy, whose name completely escapes me. Um, that Kayvon Webster, those guys are all respected team leaders, yet Simmons was one of the four players selected as a captain before the game. And mm-hmm. I thought that was fascinating. You know, on a, on a team like that, with, those, with that senior leadership, especially on the offensive side of the ball, to see Simmons as one of the four players out there kind of spoke volumes to me about what he means to that team, what he means to that defense. And also, when Brent Venables was trying to rile up that defense, you know, early in the game, it was Simmons that he was talking to to communicate that. It was what, like watching Calavion chase on. I thought it was very impressive what, what chase on did. And it was what Shaq Quarterman did for Miami when you were losing to um, Louisiana Tech the other night. Yes. You know, getting hold of it, the ability to get hold of a defense for everybody to look at you and say, you know what, this is a guy that I'd go to war for. I thought that was very impressive that Simmons did that, Chason did that, Shaq Quarterman did that. You know, that's what NFL coaches are looking for. You look at, okay, that's, that's a box ticked. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. But that was a hell of a college football game. And, you know, uh, 
the, the, the national championship game is going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. And we will talk before the, the national championship game. How good is Lawrence, though, by the way? I mean, oh, my how God. Good is he? I mean, he's the best college quarterback I think I've ever seen. It's a 6'6", 235-pound guy juking people 20 yards down the field, going 68 yards on a touchdown. Outrunning strong safeties. Somebody online called him Cam Marino, and, you know, not to be <laughs> sacrilegious about it, but, you know, Cam Marino, yeah, okay, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> you know to, what I mean? To do what, to do what he did... When essentially, Amari Rogers is coming off the knee injury, still not 100%, had that one catch on the final drive that was phenomenal. Frank Ladson barely played. The other freshman caught one pass. But your two best targets, two of, your, two of the top 10 receivers in the nation, probably two of the top, you know, look, let's not make any bones about it. Justin Ross will be a top 15 pick next year when he comes out. Yeah. Not even a question about it. He was 60% even to start the game because of the shoulder injury. He's probably 40% towards the end. T Higgins went out on the first throw to him because of the, the, the Jeff Okuda injury, came back in the second half and was, was injured. You know, wasn't 100% at all. Both of them dropped passes. To be able to do what Lawrence did, running the ball and then just completing passes when he needed to, I mean, without his two best players, I mean, that, that was astonishing to me. I just, it, it just blows my mind how good he is. It's, it's frightening how good he is. Yeah, as I was watching the game, I was watching the game with, with a couple of guys that, you know, they watch him play before and they know he's good. But, like, this was a more a, a longer extended look at him. And one of them remarked to me, next, year, NF, next year's NFL season is going to be unbearable to watch because there's going to be so many teams punting on first down. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, like, like, I don't know how you can watch this guy play and then say, Jesus, how do we go 0-16? How do we figure this out? The Dolphins couldn't figure it out. Even the Bengals couldn't do it. Nobody can do it. It seems like you have to get lucky to go 0-16. The biggest question for me is, what if somebody like the Patriots, you know, they end up, the Brady, Brady retires, they shell off a lot of players, they end up going 6-10 and 10 or 5-11 and 11 or whatever. And, and then, they, you know, it's a Ricky Williams plus scenario. You give up your entire draft yes. and other but you would. You just would. Yeah. Why would you? And future firsts. And future firsts. Look, I mean, you would give up the far. If, if, look, if you're a team that ends up at number one and you have a need of quarterback, you're obviously not moving. No, nothing in the world is going to make you move. Nothing. Yes. But if you are a team, let's say, oh, I don't know, let's say the Bengals, Joe Burrow plays well, but the Bengals win two games. Just be, I mean, that won't happen, but, you know, or what, look, Washington, you know, Haskins plays well, but, you know, they're still, they're still young and they're still building. But you've got your quarterback. Haskins is there. But, I mean, you could take – you could ask for four or five first round, you know, if Lawrence continues to – and God knows. I mean, he's not lost a game in two years. <laughs> yes. The last game he lost, I believe he was a sophomore in high school. No, the last game he lost was the, his final game in high school, which was the state, uh, state quarterfinals. It was the week after. Wow. So I'd, I'd been to see him the week before, and then the week after they lost in the state, uh, state quarterfinals. That's the last game he lost. He's, so he's, he's so through. he's no so he's no AJ McCarron in other words is what you're saying. But the, but before that, he he won. I mean I can't remember because the, the season before he'd won. I think that's he might have lost like two games in high school because he won state at least twice. Yes, at, at I, I know that, and he was Mister Football once, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just yeah, it's just insane. Really watching him play I, is insane, and watching that game and a lot of people. I'm seeing you on Twitter. I see you. 
a lot of people are saying that Joe Burrow's going to show Trevor Lawrence what you know what quarterbacking is all about. Yeah, okay. Let, let's you know let's hold off on that. Let's watch the game first. That's a hell of a game. Weeks. I, I hope good. Higgins and Ross are healthy because yes. by God that would be a hell of a game. Well, they have a little time here. They have a little time here to get yeah. healthy. So. All right, Simon, you're on your way somewhere. Are you doing anything for the 31st, or is that just not a big thing in the UK? No, I mean, it is, but I, I don't know. New Year's Eve is kind of a – you know when you go out and you go to places that you kind of choose to go to because you kind of want to go to and there's like-minded people there and that kind yeah. of thing? New Year's Eve, that all goes out the window because it's just dickheads everywhere. Uh, people just <laughs> get pissed everywhere, puking up, fights, all that sort of shit. So actually, what we've either tried, either done over the last few years is either kind of house parties or like just, I mean, God, I'm aging myself here, but you, you just end up staying in and just chilling out and, and that kind of thing. So I, we've got no plans. We might go out for a few drinks. We might just stay in and chill out and, and do it that way. Nothing, nothing mad, nothing mental. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's what I'm doing. Uh, where, I, where I live, I have a friend uh, where he throws a party every single year. That's where I go. Because nice. worst comes to worst, all I got to do is just crawl my way back home. It's exactly. like a couple of blocks, you know? Exactly. All right, Simon. This was a really meaty and extended show. All right? But that's it. There is no more. We will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.